0: Just a sh- short recap. We're going through the Gospel of John, talking about God being our Father. And really, this is this message is actually just the second half, or two-thirds of the message I gave two weeks ago from John 14. I actually had three points, but I decided, well, that's too much. I'm going to just do one point. And good thing I did, because it took, I think, like 45 minutes. So this is basically the s- second two points. Uh, so from two weeks ago so um, it's not super focused on the father but it relates to the father so if you're thinking how does this relate well it's, it's really the second uh, and third point from two weeks ago so that's kind of where we're going but before we get there just think about the context here from John 14 what's the situation and it really is helpful to think what they're going through, and what what's Jesus' answer to them? So they're going, getting ready to go through the most difficult, or one of the most difficult things in their life. One of their best friends is going to die. They're going to have a theological crisis, um, and we'll see that here in Luke, in the end of Luke, and they are just totally, their whole life is turned on their head, and it's difficult. Uh, they're they're struggling. And so Jesus is preparing them for that. And it's helpful to think, okay, what does Jesus want us to know when we're in crisis? When we're when everything gets turned upside down, when things don't work out the way we thought, when God didn't do what we thought he would, when a person we love dies, when just everything falls apart. So I'm going to read here from from Luke first, and then we'll just jump into John. Uh, 14 but here's from Luke kind of giving some perspective so this is their mindset after Jesus died Luke 24 uh, Jesus meets them on the road they don't know it's Jesus and this is what they said to him is going on concerning Jesus of Nazareth a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Now listen to this. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Well, that's an amazing phrase that the disciples are saying there. We really thought he was going to redeem Israel. And now they're, you know, everything's turned upside down they don't know what's going on. And these are the... And it's been three days since these things have happened. So that's kind of where they're at. They're just distraught. And so now John 14. That was what they were about to go through. But how did Jesus prepare them? Let's read John 14:1 through 11. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can ye say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father... Who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So this is Jesus, the beginning of his message to them, preparing them for his death. And just to summarize from two weeks ago, what we said was that the Bible and Christianity and Jesus are radically person-centered, or persons-centered, God-centered that the message of Christianity is about God. And we said that the goal of our faith is God. That's the goal of the gospel. The goal of our faith is God. And we see that there um, in John 14 at the beginning. Where is he going? He's not going to a place. It's not primarily a place. He's going primarily to be with the Father. The reason heaven is heaven is because God's there, that Christ is there, the Father's there. And we will be united with him. He wants us to be where he is. And so that was a whole message. And that's basically point number one. The goal of our faith is a person. Is God. Is three persons. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we want ultimately. And I'll just read you a quote here that kind of summarizes that well. This is from Matthew Henry. He says, The great thing Christ would lead them into was the knowledge of God. I will show you the Father and bring you acquainted with him. That is that which Christ designs to give and which all true Christians desire to have. When Christ would express the greatest favor intended for his disciples, he tells them that he would show them plainly of the Father. For what is the happiness of heaven but immediately and everlastingly to see God? That's what we're going that's what we want. That's our goal is to know God to be with God. Now and forever. That's the goal of our faith, is to be united to God. That's the good news of the gospel. Not just that our sins are forgiven so we can feel not guilty anymore, but that we can be united with God. We want our sins forgiven because those are a barrier between us and God. We want to know him. Calvin says it this way. When he says that he will tell them about the Father, he reminds us that the design of his doctrine leads us to God, in whom all true happiness lies. Very similar. So that's the first point, and we talked about that last week, is that the goal of our faith is God. It's radically person-centered, God-centered. If our view of sin is mainly that sin leaves us guilty, and that sin hurts people, we miss the biggest part of the doctrine of sin, which is that it's horrible because it separates us from God. If the gospel of Jesus' death is just to take away the guilt, we miss the best news. We want our guilt taken away so we can be united, reunited with God, reconciled to God. Conversion is just not knowing a fact that we can be forgiven. Conversion is seeing for the first time the goodness of God and wanting to be reconciled to Him. God Himself, that seeing that God is better than sin. And then heaven is not the absence of suffering, but the presence of God, the Father's house, where the Son, S O N, will be our Son, S U N. It's all person centered, it's God centered. That's where what we want. That's where we're going. That's why we want to be Christians. That's why we want our sins forgiven. But Christianity, in this section here, doesn't stop there. Um, it's radically person-centered, not only in the goal but in the object of our faith, the object of our faith, and then lastly, the ground of our faith. Both, all three, are God-centered goal of our faith is God, the object of our faith is God, and the ground, the reason we believe what we believe is God. I'm going to do it in the logical order, even though this is out of order from the text, but I think it helps us. So let's start with the ground of our faith, which means, basically, why do we believe what we believe? The object of our faith is Jesus, God himself. But why? Why do we believe in Jesus? Why do we believe what we said? this kind of relates to the Father. Let's do a thought experiment together. Just imagine this for the kids. Put your imagination caps on. Imagine this, okay? What if I told you today, I have some amazing news. From now on, we'll be calling God a new name here. God told me he wants you to call him this new name. Here it is. And then I said, let's pray. And I started my prayer by addressing God with a new name. What would you feel? How would you feel? If you had to rate the feeling in your stomach of sickness and uneasiness, would it, would it be 1 or 10? <laughs> it would probably be 10, right? And that's how you should feel. But you know what that highlights? Is how amazingly dependent we are on Jesus. We trust Jesus so much that we let him come in and say, you know, in the Old Testament, they didn't call God Father, but now we are. And bow your heads. Let's start like this. Father that 's amazing, right? The only reason we bow our heads and call call God Father is because Jesus we really, really, really trust Jesus. If I told you to call God a new name don 't trust don 't trust me right um, because if you look at my life i 'm not as trustworthy as Jesus, right, but what does that mean? We radically deeply depend on Jesus and we trust him it 's amazing it really is and and not only that, you know think about that he took. You could see hints of God being the Trinity in the Old Testament, but you couldn't see it clearly, right? We are radically trusting Jesus, what he said about God. It really radically shaped our view of the Old Testament, of God's nature. It's amazing. We really, really trust him. And that's basically what Jesus says here is the ground of our faith. It's it's him. It's Jesus. It's his life. Look here at the end of the passage uh, in John 14 starting verse, just the last two verses, 10 and 11 that we read. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account the, on account of the works themselves. The reason we believe in Jesus, the reason we believe God is our Father is because of the life of Jesus, the life and teaching of Jesus. And we actually already covered this as the ground of our faith earlier in another message because Jesus actually did this exact same thing back in John 5 when he says, if I don't do the works that the Father is doing, works of the Father, don't believe me. But if I do them, they believe me. And so we actually had already talked about this, the evidence why we believe in Jesus. And back in John 5, just to summarize what we had already talked about, It's John the Baptist, uh, Jesus brings out that John the Baptist testified of Jesus. We believe Jesus, the life of Jesus, because of the Father's testimony multiple times, but whenever he was being baptized, a voice said, this is my beloved son. Um, The Father also um, spoke, apparently, to John the Baptist, and he said that God told me, if whoever you see the Spirit descend on, that's him, that's, that's the one. And that was Jesus. We also believe because of the works Jesus did. The scriptures, because of the scriptures testifying and prophesying about Jesus. Isaiah 53, we've talked about that, how amazing that is. How a prophecy of Jesus' death, and how specific, how amazing. Jesus' character. Jesus' love. And Jesus' resurrection. All reasons that we look at the life of Jesus and we believe in him. Let's just think about those for a second. It really is, if you're a Christian, why do you believe what you believe? The answer really is Jesus. You can't say, I'm a Christian. I really am convinced by the evidence that the Bible's word of God from all the prophecies. But I'm not so sure about Jesus. That's not. <laughs> there's no one like that. That's a Christian, Right? You're convinced by the life of Jesus because that's what you're really trusting. And He is convincing. Uh, he's amazing. You read, and the glory of God comes through in the face of Jesus. Think about this. What person do you know who had one day left to live, and what they would want to do is spend it with the person they knew was going to betray them and wash their feet? That's glorious. That's amazing. That's what Jesus decided to do on his last day. That's awesome. That's loving. That's an amazing love. Imagine the smartest person you know. They know all the answers. And the smartest people tried to trick them. What would their response be? Jesus, while they were mocking and taunting him, even though he knew all the answers, he kept silent. That's different than men, isn't it? You know, you know a lot of men that that's their response. Like, people are mocking me, taunting me. I know the, I know all the answers to make them be quiet and make them look stupid. Ah, that's okay. I'm not going to say anything. I'll just, I'll just close my mouth. I already tried to answer them, and they weren't going to listen. That's, that's glory. That's amazing. And even think about the knowledge, right? I mean, think about. All the religious elite, remember, they would ask him Jesus. And then there's that verse in Matthew 22:46, 46, is, is a specific verse. But basically, they're trying to trick him. And they're coming up with all these questions, hypothetical questions. And then it c- comes to the point where it says, they decided they were not going to ask him any more questions. <laughs> all the smartest people trying to trick him. And then they decide, nope, <laughs> we can't trick him. We better stop asking him questions. That's amazing. Oh, like we already said, is love. You just read the Gospels and you see the love of Jesus and it just glows off the page. It's it's amazing. We could talk about it the whole time. Just the love of Jesus. Towards the disciples, towards the people who tried to trick him, towards the people who were trying to kill him, Towards the people mocking him while he was dying, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's amazing. That is an amazing statement, isn't it? Could you come up with that? That w- I couldn't come up. With, you know what I mean? Write a story like that? No. Jesus is better, more wonderful, more glorious than any person we've ever met, any book we've ever read. And like we talked about last week, the resurrection. What a proof of the of Jesus divinity of his reality of who he is the resurrection not many people say hey you know what I'm going to die but I have the power to raise myself from the dead and that's going to happen pretty soon no one right just Jesus only God that's what Romans 1 4 says that his resurrection declared him to be the son of God in power by his resurrection he's declared to be the son of God in power by his resurrection that's awesome The resurrection is powerful testimony. Listen to this and and see if this sounds familiar. This is actually from Spurgeon. Spurgeon tells the story of a person. He was a lawyer. He was an anti-Christian writer. And he sat down to write an attack on the resurrection. So he gathered evidence and he became a Christian. (laughs) And he wrote a book about all that called Observations on the Resurrection of Christ. The guy's name was Gilbert West, and he was he was an atheist, anti-theist, or however you want to say it. That sure sounds like something that happened just in our lifetime, doesn't it? Like Lee Strobel, you guys have heard of that book, uh, The Case for Christ. Probably a hundred years from now, there's going to be another book. It's going to be the exact same thing. Somebody sits down to disprove Christianity, looks at the resurrection, and is like, wow, I'm going to become a Christian. <laughs> and then I write a book. The fact that that's almost exactly the same as that book, The Case for Christ, that's pretty amazing. Gilbert West, Observations on the Resurrection of Christ, bestseller, back in the 1800s. The life of Jesus is compelling. And that's really what Jesus says here. If you don't believe, what's the answer to unbelief? If you don't believe, just look at my life. That's actually pretty amazing that that's the ground of our faith, right? Like, why do we believe? We we believe because of the life of Jesus. What's what did Jesus want them to know before he left? When everything gets shaken up, when you start doubting everything, when I when I die, what do I want you to know? Believe in God. Believe in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And if you don't believe me, just look at the works and believe them. That's pretty amazing. And you know, one reason I think it's so amazing is it's so simple. The simplest person can do what Jesus said here. Right? We call this in some ways like apologetics, right? Why do you believe what you believe? How do you explain it to people? Be ready to give an answer for those who give an account. Or uh, be ready to give an answer to those who ask you about the hope within you. I'm kind of messing that up a little bit, but you get the idea. Boy, what if... Jesus, when he was telling us, here's why you believe what you believe, and I, got, I brought a book, which actually, I don't dislike this book, but I'm going to use it just um, because I, it highlights the amazing and glory of Jesus. It's, uh, it's about presuppositional apologetics, which basically is kind of, if you know what it is, you, great. If you don't, it's very complicated. <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff, like a list of fallacies that you don't believe and all this stuff you know what the Jesus apologetics is? Look at my life. <laughs> anybody can say that. Anybody can do it. And anybody can understand it. Aren't you glad that the Bible is simple? That the main things are the plain things? If I read you know, a bunch of stuff in here, here's, here's your five fallacies, and here's why you believe what you believe, and here's, you know, I've got five chapters. We're going to go through it for the next ten weeks on the philosophical underlying of why you need to know how you believe what you believe that's complicated (laughs) and honestly it's not very encouraging to um, am I really going to be able to explain this to somebody but you know what you can't explain I just look at the life of Jesus and I know that he's real (laughs) that's awesome aren't you thankful that the main things are the plain things I am it makes it easy and by the way, kind of not if you're familiar with presuppositional apologetics, the next like thirty seconds is for you, otherwise you can zone out but interestingly uh relates to this, but interestingly, Jesus does one thing that they say you're not supposed to do <laughs> in this passage so he uh he says um, basically, if I don't um he he steps off what he knows to be true and says, even if." Even if I don't, if I don't do the works, and the Father don't believe me, He just says that in John five, and then here He says, "Just look at the works um, and believe them." So, anyways, not good when Jesus does the thing you say you're not supposed to do. So, um, but all that is to say, it's easier when it's simple. <laughs> I'm thankful that it is what Jesus said is much more simple and understandable. We believe in Him. Because we look at his life. That's the ground of our faith. And then finally, what's the object of our faith? Again, it's God. God is the goal. God is the ground. And God is the, is the object. We believe what we believe because we've seen the life of Jesus. What do we believe? We believe in Jesus. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Very simple. The way to the Father is through Jesus. His blood, His resurrection, His perfect life. We're not going to wash our own sins away. Nobody's going to be good enough. So we trust Jesus. He's the way. Not our good works. You know, it makes me think you ever talk to somebody who's trusting Jesus plus their good works or just their good works? It's really amazing if you really think about it, the vast difference, you know, you're saying, we, we, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God, but when we stand before God, we're standing in a totally different way. Worlds apart. If we, you know, just to say it this way, imagine if there's two people and up on stage, let's say, one person over here, I'm trusting my works and Jesus, right here, I'm trusting just Jesus, and we, Lightning struck between us and we both died. Think about how amazing it really is. One person would say something like, Well, Jesus, you were good. And look, all these good things I did. And uh, I know they weren't good enough, but they were something. So please let me into heaven. The other person. The person who's trusting just Jesus. What if God said, here's your best work. Think about this. Maybe this is not how it's going to be. I'm almost 100% certain, but just imagine it with me. Imagine if God said, you died, and He stood before you. you're standing before him. Why should I let you into heaven? I don't think he's going to ask that either, but let's say he did. And he showed you on some sort of heavenly equivalent of like a projector, your best deed ever. And he said, this is your best deed that you ever did in your whole life. And it's there it is, you and whatever it is you did, loving someone in a radical, amazing way. And he said, "You want me to put that on your account? You know what the person who believes Jesus, trusting Jesus alone, would do? They would beg Jesus not to. Please, don't, don't put that on my account. I want just your blood. I want your righteousness. I don't want. I don't want to add anything to it. That wasn't. That's not going to get me into heaven. My best deed ever. I want you. I want your blood. I want your righteousness. Please cover me. That's pretty different." <laughs> The person, one person is saying, if it's just my best deed on my account, the best deed I ever did in my whole life, please don't put it. Please cover that with the blood of Jesus. I don't want that on my account. I want Jesus' life on my account. And the other person is saying, here's my whole pile of all the good things I've ever did. Count all of them towards me. That's pretty different. And that's what we're doing. We're saying, Jesus, I'm trusting Jesus. He's the way, not me, not my, I'm not washing away my sins. I'm not... Piling up my good works, I'm trusting Jesus. I'm just trusting Him, His death, His blood, His resurrection. Just Jesus. Well, He's not just the way, He's the truth. The truth. We're convinced of the truth, like we said, by the person of Jesus, His life you know everybody is placing their faith in something we've talked about this believing something trusting in some truth it's pretty amazing jesus here is saying he's the truth we can trust him we want to know what truth is we start right with jesus that's how we that's how we know truth we know it through him And he's not only the way, he's not only the truth, he's the life. Think about what it really means, all these things. If we really believe what Jesus said, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. That he's God in the flesh. We really just believed him. So think about, again, the disciples they're in crisis. Jesus, their you know mentor, has just died. Even the things, how they thought it was to be, it's all shaken up. And here's, what, here's the three things Jesus wants to remind them here. God is the goal. God is the object. And God is the ground of your faith. Jesus. Jesus is the way. The reason you believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life is because of his life. It's pretty amazing, really, if you really think about it. Everyone's believing what their purpose is, either that maybe they might even say, I don't know what my purpose is, or what's meaning in life. Where's my hope? Where's my value? Where's my future? And we're saying, Jesus. Jesus has the answer. He's the truth. If you want to know the way, you want to know the truth, you want real life, it's found in Jesus. Think about the big difference this would make. Remember we talked, I think we've said this almost exactly before. Imagine someone believed they aren't valuable, they aren't worthwhile, there's no hope, life has no meaning, their actions don't really matter. Imagine that person. Man, that's hard. Imagine if that person believed Jesus. Imagine that the person believed they are valuable because Jesus died for them that there is meaning in life and Jesus came to show them the way into that that he's the life that he's what real he's the goal he's what where real meaning is found that there is hope in him in his death that there is a future it's to go and be with the father be with Christ worlds apart the difference where you're believing what you're believing Spurgeon tells a good story to kind of summarize all this. When you're in crisis, when something difficult's going on, where do, what do we go back to? Faith. Faith in God. Why? Because we're convinced by the life of Jesus that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and our goal is God himself. We could just say, God, 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 right? God is, there, is our goal. God is our, where our faith is, and God is the reason that we even believe what we believe. Spurgeon tells this story. I'll just read it word for word. I have heard of a little girl who when her father died saw her mother weeping immoderately day after day, week after week. Her mother refused to be comforted which is definitely in crisis. The little girl stepped up to her mother and putting her little hand inside her mother's hand looked up to her face and said Mom, is God dead? Is God dead, Mom? And her mother thought surely no the child seemed to say to the mother thy maker is thy husband the Lord of hosts is his name so dry your tears you have a father in heaven and you have a husband still it's, I like that story because it shows like man you're in crisis you're, your whole world is shaken where's your hope at the little girl basically reminded the mom we've still got God there's still hope it's okay to cry I don't think that's what Spurgeon was saying, that it's not okay to cry. But I think what he was saying is, there's a point where we dry our tears and we live our life. Why? Because we've got God. We've got hope in Him. We still have a Father. We still have a way. We still have the truth. We still have the life. And we know it's true because of the life of Jesus. Now let's just apply this, okay? So a lot of this is review, and we've actually talked about a lot of this before. But why is this important? Because what we're basically saying here is, here's the foundation of your faith, right? Like, let's just say it's like this, you know, it's like this around me. What am I standing on when things get difficult, whenever a crisis happens, whenever my life falls apart, whenever even I have maybe, in this case, the disciples had kind of a theological crisis. Like, well, where... We thought God was going to do this, and he didn't, so like, I don't even know what to believe now. We thought he was the redeemer of Israel, but now we're not sure. Where do you go when you're in crisis, in any type of crisis? Maybe it's circumstantial, maybe it's existential, you know, what you're thinking, um, ideological. Where do we go? Well, we go back to the foundation, right? Who is God? Where we're going is to be with God, and how do we get there? Through Jesus, and why do we believe it? Because of the life of Jesus. Jesus. Very simple. The goal, the ground, and the object of our faith are God himself. Now, what is so dangerous about stepping off that foundation? It gives us stability in crisis. We don't want to step off of it. We don't want um, to move away from any of those. We talked about it you know, last week, just briefly, two weeks ago. If you move away just a little bit, you get your foot off and you think... Maybe my goal's not God. Maybe it's comfort. Then you know what happens when your comfort gets taken out from under your feet? You're off. You're shaken. You're, you're not standing on firm ground anymore and you think, whoa, what's going on here? I thought comfort was my, was my goal and God's not giving me comfort. Well, God, our goal isn't comfort. It's God himself. And if we're standing, realizing that, we're, we're sure-footed. It may be difficult, but we're still... We might be falling on the ground, but we're still on, on solid ground. And we talked about that quite a bit, so I won't go too much into that. But think about this. Why do we believe what we believe? Now that's, that's a big question. It's actually a pretty deep question. Why do you believe what you believe? How do you know what you know? And Jesus is saying, at the root of all of it, the real simple answer is the life of Jesus. We know because the life of Jesus convinced us. It's shaky. If you start putting other things on, really the root and the reason you believe what you believe it becomes shaky ground. I'll tell you a couple of stories that kind of give an example of that. This is a kind of a negative example, really. But this guy, um, we we're just talking about this at our small group. But a lot of times when um, you you have a conversation with someone and they're from totally different background, it feels like you're talking. On two different wavelengths. And sometimes it's because of this, this. You're standing on two different foundations and you're trying to communicate, and they're saying they're standing on a totally different foundation and they have no idea how to bridge that gap. I'll give you an example here. This is from a quote from a guy named John Henry Newman. It's not a good quote. Um, I would say he, he's standing totally on shaky ground for the reason he believes what he believes. And here's what he says Whatever history teaches, whatever it omits, whatever it exaggerates or extenuates, whatever it says and unsays, at least the Christianity of history is not Protestantism. If there was ever a safe truth, this is it. So he was, he was a Catholic, and he's basically saying, why do I believe what I believe? There's a sure truth. If I know one thing, if, I have a, if there's a safe truth, the ground I'm staying on for why I believe what I believe, what he says is church history. <laughs> That's kind of scary, Right? It's to say I'm looking. I've read a couple books on church history, and you know, that's what I'm trusting, and that's what I know. If I know anything, I know church history. you know, teaches me this. That's kind of scary, right? I mean, the reality is, is you might just read a different history, church history book and be convinced the other direction, or you know, some people it might be something else. It might not be church history. It might be. It might be something, something like philosophical coherency, or something like that. That's very up in the air. And I'll give you another example of that. So uh, I'm not going to tell you who this is because it's kind of discouraging. But um, another guy said this. He said uh, he said that the God of Calvinism. Is, is worse than the devil because the devil tries to send people to hell but the God of Calvinism does it unfailingly. Now, let me think Think about that quote. Think about what it says about the goal, the ground, and the object of that person's faith. What they're saying is if I meet God and he's too Calvinistic, I'm going to say, I want to go to hell. You're bad. I don't. I don't want to worship you. That's scary, right? Is the goal of that person's faith God himself? Apparently not. I mean, that person's basically saying, if I meet God and, and the Jesus who died for me is too Calvinistic, I don't want to be in heaven. I hope they didn't really mean that. I hope they would repent of that when they actually meet Jesus. But people say stuff like that. Now, well, What about the object and the ground of their faith? Are they trusting in Jesus? Or are they trusting in some theological system that they feel like is really coherent? Now, on the other side of that, it's not just uh, Calvinism, people that don't like Calvinism that do that. People that are Calvinists do that, too. And they've said things like, the God of Arminianism is not worth worshiping. That's bad, right? I mean, you may disagree theologically, but to say if I meet God, I'm not going to worship him in heaven, that's scary, Right? That's looking down at the, at the ground, the object, and the goal of your faith, and, and you've got you're on shaky ground, right? You're not on Jesus alone. You're standing on a construct that you need to get off, you know, and you need to place all your faith in Jesus. Have your have your convictions. That's fine. Uh, I don't think that's wrong, but certainly don't throw God out. If God's not the way I think He's going to be, then I don't want anything to do with Him. That's bad. We don't want to be like that. We want to stand on the firm foundation of Jesus. Why is this important to us? Well, when we're in crisis, we've got to know where we're standing. Because if we're standing, if you've got one foot of your faith on Calvinism and one foot on Jesus, and then you start to get shaken, here's what I don't want you to happen. I don't want you just to decide, oh, you know what? I'm just going to step off totally. I want you to be trusting Jesus alone. If you, you know, we've got wide views here. Not everyone is, you know, a five-point Calvinist, and that's great. I think that's good, actually. Um, that we've got diversity. But if you have a conversation with somebody, you don't need to feel like you're going to be shaken because you're standing on Jesus, not on Calvinism or Arminianism, or we could say another good example why this is important is uh, you could put in any theological. Secondary issue other than who God is in the gospel. Age of the earth, right? If, if, you're, if you're standing on Jesus, plus you know how old the earth is, that's shaky ground. <laughs> and also, how are we going to be unified here, right? Because we've got different views. We've got people who believe the earth is really old, really young. What is our one foundation that we're all agreeing on? That we all can say, this is sure, this is certain. This is where we're basing our faith. Jesus. He's the goal. He's where we want to go. We want to be with the Father and with the Son. He's what we're trusting. And the reason we believe it is because of His life. I think it's okay to have views on all those things. It's fine. I think that's good. Think about it. Try and wrestle with the Scriptures. Think about what they say. But when we make them the thing we're standing on, we've made the how more important than the who. Right? Right? How how did God make the earth? That's not more important than who made the earth. How is God going to save each Christian? That's less important than who does it? Jesus. And really, you can see that in, in the Bible, right? People step off the who, right? That's the whole point of this whole sermon is that the Christianity is person-centered. It's God-centered. That's who we're standing on is God. If we start to step off and make a how one of our foundational things that we're trusting in, We can miss God. We can miss the who. And you can see that here in the Gospels, right? Even the disciples, they started to put their one foot on the how. How is the Messiah going to come? Well, he's going to come like this. He's not going to come in weakness and die. And when they had that foot on that, they were so certain that they, remember Peter rebuked Jesus for it, basically, when he said he was going to die. Then when Jesus, lo and behold, did die, they're shaken. Why? Because they were standing on, they were certain how God would do it rather than who they were trusting in. you can The Pharisees did it, right? The same exact kind of thing. Uh, they had one foot on how the Messiah was going to look. The Messiah is not going to come from Nazareth. The Messiah is not going to uh, you know, do this and do that. And so they rejected the who because they were leaning on the how. They had their foot, and that was their ground. They were willing to give up the who because they were certain on the how. And we don't want to do that. We, don't, we want it to be our hope, our trust, our goal, the ground of our faith is Jesus. And it's important because you're going to go through a crisis. I'm going to go through a crisis. Circumstantially, something's going to happen. Things happen in our lives, surprising things. It's very important to ha- be really, really clear. Look down at where your feet are and know, I believe what I believe because I'm standing on what? On what is it? And to know with very very clear, concise certainty, it's Jesus, it's God, it's who he was, it's his life, his death, and his resurrection. It's important for for your life. It's important for our unity. It's important when we talk to our kids, right? I was just thinking about this today. What is it that I want to get across to my kids? I hope that I'm not getting across that if they you know if they take some position on on a secondary theological issue that that's the end of the world i don't want to, i don't want i don't want that to happen there's many people who i've you know you've heard stories like that people who've grown up in a christian home and then they re they and they end up rejecting it and you talk to them and what they say is nothing about jesus <laughs> it's like i grew up in a christian home and My parents said, you know, this. And it's like, well, that has nothing to do with the central message of Christianity. You know? It could be, you know, a lot of times I hear it's, you know, the age of the earth. Or um, sometimes it could be Calvinism. You know, things like that. But the reality is we don't want to communicate to our kids. If you grew up and you're trusting Jesus and him alone, but you're an Arminian, I'm going to be disappointed or something like that or you're not a Christian. I want to be communicating the very clear truth that I, I would be thrilled to have a child that's trusting Jesus. They love him. They want to go be with him. They want to know him. They want to be with the Father. And if they're cessationists or not, or if they're more Arminianistic or more Calvinistic, if they are more congregational church government or elder, that's all secondary. I just want them to trust Jesus. Does that make sense? Important. Important for our church. Important for us. And I'm thankful that it's... Aren't you thankful? Let's just praise God for a second before we close. Praise God that it's simple. (laughs) Praise God you don't have to have it all figured out. The basic things are the main things, and you can understand them totally. That Jesus is who he said he was. That we can trust him and he'll cover our sins with his blood and that we can be with him that's amazing i'm thankful i'm thankful it's simple let's be united on that and let's remember that when we move through difficult times in our life i think i've said this before but it's worth saying again i can't remember who said this but you want to You want to practice in the light what you're going to lean on in the dark. I think something like that. Or you want to repeat to yourself in the light what you want to remember in the dark. It's the basic things. Who God is, who we're trusting, and where we're going. And so we can lean on that. Let's pray together. Father, we just look to you. We do ask that you'd help us. Help us to just um, lean on you alone. Trust you. Thank you that you've given us uh, your word. Thank you that your life was so well recorded in the Gospels that we can read it and know you, know what you're like through it. I do pray if there's any, um, if there has been anything where we've communicated something else, um, it made something bigger than it should be, to our kids or our friends or anything. I just pray that you'd forgive us and help us. I pray, I'm sure there's people, even right now, going through difficult times, and I just pray that you'd encourage their hearts in, in you and in knowing the main things, having a sure foundation. We just hand that to you, God. We know you're able. We love you. We're thankful for you. Amen. We're dismissed.